It's great to be here. It's good to see everyone out. I know we have several of our number traveling. Uh, pray for their, their, them as they are traveling. This morning, I wanted to start off our lesson with a question of why am I here? And that's a question that as you're sitting there, you might be thinking, well, is he talking about why am I here this morning? And I think what we're going to talk about will lead to that eventually. But I want to look at the overall core of life. I want to look at our purpose. And I appreciate David's prayer this morning because he prayed. He prayed for that. I want to look at what is our purpose? What is our meaning here on this earth, the basis of our life? You know, on the surface, that seems like an easy question to answer. It seems like something that, that we could readily answer. But I think at times we lose our why. We lose our reason for, and our purpose here with all the stress that we go through, the fear, the evil that we see in our world, we lose that why at times. But I think if we can answer this and contemplate it daily and really think it through, I think this is a question when answered correctly can fill our lives with purpose, but also help us to be who God created us to be. So why am I here this morning or why am I here in this life? Many today think that life has no purpose. They believe that you're born, you live, and you die, and that's it. And that's a sad view of life. I found a, a couple of quotes that I'm gonna read here. Richard Dawkins, which is considered to be one of the most intelligent men alive, he said, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute that it takes me to compose this sentence, Thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Many others are running for their lives, whimpering with fear. Others are slowly being devoured from within by rasping parasites. Thousands of all kinds are dying of starvation, thirst, and disease. It must be so. If there ever is a time of plenty, the very fact, this very fact will automatically lead to an increase in the population until the natural state of starvation and misery is restored. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Others are, other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, but pitiless indifference. I hope that makes you feel good this morning. That's a view of life. This is the view that many people have of life. And do you know why they have that view? Because they don't believe in God. They have no belief in God. Here's another example of a very intelligent man, Stephen Hawking. He has since passed away, but he once said this. He said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broke down computers. This is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. So what he's telling you is that if you believe in God, if you seek out your purpose in God, it's a fairy tale and it's because you're scared. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that to be true because I believe we can find purpose. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. I believe this is a question that we have to be able to answer. I believe it's a question we have to teach our children to answer. And I believe it's a question that we have to help others understand also. And here's why. A Gallup poll, pretty recent. 2017 is when this poll ended. It went from 2001 to 2017. And the title is, What Percentage of Americans Believe in God? And what they've done is they've asked the, the question, do you believe in God in three different ways? And I'm not gonna read those, but the point I want us to see is that no matter how they ask that question, we have a decreasing amount of people in our nation every year 
that don't believe in God or an increasing amount of people that don't believe in God. And to me, I look at the news and I see evidence of that. I see the evil in our world and I see the evidence of that. If you don't believe in God, who are you accountable to? Yourself. This is scary. Our children will grow up and have their children and raise their children in a world, in a nation that doesn't believe in God. Our next generation of church leaders are going to have to keep a church together and running in a nation where more people do not believe in God than do. This is an important question and it's something we have to ask ourselves. It's something we have to to think about. When somebody doesn't believe in God, when somebody can't find a purpose through belief in God, they're going to look for purpose somewhere. And I want you to go, I know Seth isn't here this morning, but on Sunday afternoon, he talked about Ecclesiastes. And I want you to send him a text, a high five, because I'm gonna get you out about 15 minutes earlier because he said a lot of the things that I was gonna say. But the fact is, is Solomon went through this. He tested these things out. And that's what we see. He sought after worldly wisdom. He sought after work, possessions, power, popularity, pleasure. He looked for purpose in those things. And I want you to see his conclusion. When you look at Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 14, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Just like said, you're gonna find purpose in those things, in those worldly things. It's like trying to catch the wind. It's never gonna happen. Never. So why am I here? What is my purpose on this earth? Today, I wanna explore that question. And I think we can best answer that question by answering other questions and lead back to this idea of why I'm here. So let's start off with this, our first question this morning. And that is, where did I come from? I believe that to know why you're here, you have to understand where you come from. Sometimes we question how an atheist can believe that this life has no meaning or no purpose. But I think we can learn a lot about the mind of an atheist when we understand where their beliefs come from. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you a very uneducated version of this theory here. Now, I do wanna start off by saying that this is not just, this is a theory, but it's not laid out to be a theory in many cases. To many people, this is fact. This is what we call the Big Bang Theory. I probably learned this in seventh or eighth grade. Your, prop, your children, if they're in public school, are probably learning this in fifth or sixth grade. I don't know. I don't know the teaks. I am a teacher, but I don't know that. But they are learning it earlier and earlier. And this is being portrayed as a fact in many cases. So let me give you a very uneducated version of what happened here. You had this big explosion out of nothing at the beginning of time, And over all these billions of years, we've evolved to where we are today. So when you think about where people believe they come from, they come from an accident, an accident that happened billions of years ago. And the result of everything that they do, everything that goes on on in their lives is just the result of of an accident, which in turn really leads you to believe that you're here accidentally almost. So when you think about that in that manner, how can you believe that your life has any purpose at all? If you came from nothing, how can your life mean anything? It can't. It can't. 
But I'm here to tell you, I think there's a lot of evidence that disproves that. This today, I don't have time to go through that. But what I, the point I wanna make here is, is that God is what gives us purpose. God is what gives us a true, meaningful purpose in our life. And if we don't have God, we're here by accident. I think if we understand that we come from a loving God who created us, that's a good starting point in answering that question of why I am here. When I think about the creation, the fact is, is I know in my heart and you guys know in your heart that we are the, we are the result of a creator. We are a result of a God who loved us, who created us, a divine creator. We're not just some accident. We're more than that. Our life is more than that. Our life means more than that. I think there's numerous evidence, again, for this. Now, I'm gonna defer that to Trevor. He's really good at that stuff and he knows a lot about it. Go listen to some of his lessons. We don't have time. But the God, the, the point I wanna make this morning again is that we know we have a creator. We understand that, that there's a divine presence that, that created everything and that's God. You know, God's word states in Psalm 19 and verse one, he says, the heavens declare thy glory, the, the glory of the God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. You see, we can look all around us, we can look at the creation and we can understand that the stars, the sun and the moon, the way our seasons change, the blooming of a flower, the growth of a child comes from the fact that God created it and made it that way. We have evidence everywhere we look. And I think that's the biggest evidence we need to understand that we have a God who created us and loves us. And this is a good starting point to that journey. You know, atheism, atheism again, leads to a life with no purpose because we see ourselves as an accident. But when we have a belief in God and a trust that God created us, we know that we're not just an accident. We know that we mean more than that. And I wanna think back to the creation. Genesis chapter one and verse 26, God has created, he's creating the, the world and everything in it. And he comes to the point that he creates man. And I want you to think about what he says here in verse 26. He says, and God said, let us make man in our own image. I'm gonna tell you, he didn't say that about any other part of creation, but he said it about us. We're set apart, we're different. He loves us. He made us different. Not only that, he created us with a soul. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse seven, it says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. We have a soul. That means that belief that we are born, we live and we die is not correct. But there's more to life. This is just the starting point a soul that's gonna to return to him eventually, a God that loves us. You know, I think of Paul as he's in Athens and Paul's in Athens and he sees evidence of, of a people who believe that there are many gods, false gods. I mean, they didn't believe that they were false, but that's what they were, they were false gods. But there was an inscription as he's, as he's in Athens and it says to, an unknown, to the unknown God. Well, Paul uses that and he says, you know that unknown God? I know him, let me tell you about him. And this is what he tells them. He says, 
in Acts 17 and verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. The reason we're here, the reason we do what we do is because we have a God who created us to be here. And I think that leads us to our next question. We know where we come from. We come from a God who loves us. And that next question that that leads to is where are we going? What's the end game? Where are we headed? First of all, I think we can agree with atheists on one thing, that we're gonna die. If God doesn't come first, we're going to die. This physical body was not made to last forever. It was not made to live eternally. This body is gonna fail at some point and we're gonna die. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, five, it says, for the living know that they shall die. Hebrews nine twenty seven says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die. We're going to die. But I'm gonna tell you that point of death is where we kind of separate with our beliefs with an atheist because we believe there's more. And we know that, that, we, we know that there's more after this life. But I'm gonna tell you, if there's no God, your journey ends here. This is it. Another quote I found, it says, I believe there is no heaven or hell. There are no devils or angels, no afterlife or salvation. My soul won't be incarnate or incarnated or lost in the oblivion. One day I will just stop existing and that's it. Again, another uplifting quote this morning. If you don't believe in God, this is all you get. I know there's some good things about life. I know we have a church family, and there's, but I'm gonna tell you, this life is full of pain, sorrow, and hurt. And if this is all I get, what a miserable existence it is. But I feel our faith disputes that. Our faith disputes that fact. Our faith, when we, when we read the word of God, like it says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we read the word of God, we understand that there's more. You know, I think of John chapter 11 as Lazarus has just died and Jesus is about to bring him to life. And Jesus is talking to Mary here and this is what he tells her. And what he tells her should give us all hope. He says, I am the resurrection of life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He asked Mary, he says, don't you believe that there's more to this life? Don't you believe there's more than just being born, living and dying? He says, you don't have to die spiritually. You don't have to. And what a wonderful thought that is. Wonder, what a wonderful way to gain motivation to understand that this isn't it. That, that it's not just some short, miserable existence that just ends but there's way more to it. There's so much more to it. You know, that day when our life comes to an end through faith and obedience, we have something to look forward to. We have something more to hope for. But you know, once we die, we have to understand also that we're gonna be judged. We're judged for the way we lived. Solomon understood this. Ecclesiastes 11 verse nine, he says, Rejoice, O you thy youth and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou for all of these things, God will bring thee into judgment. So he says, when you're young, 
you're going to want to do some stuff, but understand that those things are going to be judged by God. He goes on and, and echoes the same sentiment in Ecclesiastes 12 and 14 when he says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We're going to be judged for the things that we do on this earth. So when we think about our journey and we think about our purpose, that leads us back to this idea that this life does matter. And the way we live, our life matters because we're going to be judged. And there's two paths we can take. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking, uh, talking and he's talking about serving those people in need. And essentially what he says is that if you find somebody in need, you serve them, you're serving me. If you find somebody in need and you reject them, you reject me. And I want you to see what he says about our options here. Matthew 25, 46, he says, And these shall go into, away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. So Jesus has laid out two paths, eternal punishment or eternal life. So when we think about where we are going, we now have an understanding. There's two choices. There's heaven, there's hell. And we as Christians, hopefully, are choosing life eternal. That's our hope. That's our, that's our goal. So we understand where we come from. We come from a God who loved us and created us. And we understand where we are headed, and that's heaven. This leads us to the next question. How do I get there? How do I get from this point to that point? And the first step in getting there is to obey the gospel. But to obey the gospel, our first step has to, ha has to be that we increase our faith, that we start to believe. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, some people in the religious world today would have you to believe that faith is just a feeling, something you feel inside of you. But I'm here to tell you, the word of God says that faith is substance, that it's evidence. There's more to it than just a belief or a feeling. How do we gain faith? How do we gain that evidence? Well, I refer you back to Romans 10, 17, once again, where it says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we're in the word of God, we gain faith. Our belief comes stronger. And I want you to know something about being in the word of God is that it can change who we are. Romans 12 and verse two, it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do we renew our mind? Well, we get in the word of God and it changes who we are. But, you know, I think of 2 Timothy chapter three and verse 14. Speaking to Timothy, he says, but continue, to, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So doctrine, the word of God is effective in those things. But here's what I want us to understand and what he's saying here to Timothy. He's saying the word of God is able. I know people, I've seen people who know the word of God. They know, they know the word of God. They know the Bible front and back but they don't believe in God. The word of God isn't just gonna instantly 
transform us. You see, here's that first step in that decision on the path that we take, is we make this decision because what it says here, it says the Holy Scriptures which are able. But that takes us also submitting to that word and being obedient to it. And that's that first step. When we think about the two paths that we can take to heaven or hell, the first step to heaven is making that choice right there to be in the scripture, but also to let it change us, to let it transform us into who God wants us to be. Because you see, when we get into the scripture and we're into the word of God, we start to understand more and more about the promises that come from it. We understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, it says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus Christ died so that we could live. And that changes our perspective, doesn't it? To know that we are sinful, to know that we can't do this on our own, but God made provision for us so that we didn't have to. And we realize we have to change the way we live. So we are called to repent. Acts chapter three and 19, it says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out. So here are our steps so far in the gospel. We, we believe and now we're repenting. We're changing our lives. And repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry, God. It's actually changing how I live. It's actually aligning my life with God's will. And once we repent, it doesn't stop there. We are called, we are, we are to confess. Romans chapter 10 and verse nine, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we're to this step now. We've, we believe, we repent, we confess. And many people will say, well, now all you have to do is say a prayer. I'm gonna tell you, you don't find that in the word of God. But there is one more step to the gospel and that's through baptism. Romans chapter six and verse three, he says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. So the culmination of this gospel process is that we are, we are obedient to him in baptism. Our old man dies. We are buried with him in baptism and we rise to walk in newness of life. And that's the first step in our walk in choosing that path to heaven to get to where we are going. This is the first step in how we do that. But then our life has to be a continual service to him. Romans chapter six and verse 11 going on, he says, likewise reckon ye yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you may obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield, ye, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. 
You see, our life has to be a continual striving to live for him, to be obedient to him, to avoid sin. That's, that, that's how we walk with him. That's how we obey his will, is by following his word. And that's in this life, that's our path. That's the path that we take. But I'm gonna tell you, it's not always that easy. Sometimes life gets hard. Sometimes we have temptations. Sometimes we make the decision to walk away. And I think a good example of that can be seen in the story of the prodigal son. You see, the prodigal son was in his father's house. He was safe. He had everything he needed. But I'm gonna tell you what, he decided to take his inheritance and he left. He walked away from his father. He took his inheritance and he wasted it in a far country. He went and he sinned. He did what he wanted to do. And you know, he's at this point in his life where he's at the bottom of the barrel. He's living with the pigs and he's eating what they won't. And he comes to a realization. And we see that in Luke chapter 15 and verse 17. It says, and he came to himself. He, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. So that's exactly what he does. We read that in verse 21. It says, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Sometimes we, as Christians, have obeyed the gospel and we make the decision to walk away. We make the decision to take our heavenly inheritance and go into a far off country and waste it. And we have to understand that on this path, if we get to that point, we have to know how to get back to God. We have to know how to get back to him. And that's exactly what we need to do. If you look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, what I want us to understand is the writer is speaking to those who are Christians, those who have obeyed the gospel. And what he says is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a blessing. Have you ever been to that point in your life where you've done somebody wrong? You've treated them bad, and you realize it, and you realize it's time to reconcile that relationship. It's one of the hardest things we can do, isn't it? First of all, our pride doesn't want us to do that. We have to set our pride aside but then we have to worry if they're gonna accept our apology. We worry if that relationship will ever be the same as it was. I'm gonna tell you, you don't have to worry about that with God. One of the most humbling verses in scripture is Luke 15 and verse 20, when the son returns to his father and it says, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. If you separated yourself from God, he's waiting with open arms for you to come back. But again, that's part of that decision you have to make in this life. It's part of the decision on how we get there. But you've gotta be willing to do that. <clears throat> I think after we've answered these three questions, 
Where did we come from? We have a foundation knowing we come from a God that loves us and created us and that he's prepared a place for us. And we also understand how we get there, that the things that we do in this life matters. We have a good understanding of why we're here. We have a good view of why we're here, what our purpose is on this earth. And I'm gonna tell you that purpose is serving Christ, is serving God. That's our purpose. That's the reason we stand here today. That's the reason we do everything we do is because we have a God that loved us that sent his son to die on the cross for us. You, know, you look at Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. That's our duty. Our duty is to do what God has asked us to do, to align our will with his and to serve him with everything we have. You know, David talked about in his prayer, our purpose is to go out and spread his word. Yes, that is our purpose. Our purpose is to live a life so that we are in line with his will, but we also teach others to do the same. You know, I think of Romans chapter 12 and verse one, he says, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You might ask, why is it my reasonable service to give my life for, for Jesus Christ, for God? Well, I'm gonna tell you why. Because God loved you enough, knowing the battle that you faced with sin, knowing that you would not win that battle, that he was willing to send his only son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to shed his blood so that you could be forgiven of a debt that you can't pay. He paid the debt for us. And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, if you've never accepted God as your savior by being baptized with him, you can find your purpose in God today. You can find what your life really means. Or maybe you've walked away, maybe you've turned your back just like the son did. God's waiting with open arms and he's here and he's ready to take you back. If you need the help of the church, come to the front as we stand and sing.